Some people don't hear it in tone of voice. Some people don't notice a roll of an eye. Some people don't see those things or hear those things or take notice of them even if they do. And that's that's where the difference comes in. You stop and you think and you try to put yourself in the other person's position and then there's a whole host of new opportunities. And that's what life's all about. It's making these connections. It's being able to be with other people. We are social beings. We talk to one another. We engage with one another. We want that human connection. So if you have a high EQ, you're going to have that connection with more people. Welcome to the Mind for Life podcast. The Mind for Life podcast. Where your thinking can change your life. And now, here's your host, Jeff Bogazic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Mind for Life podcast. My name is Jeff Bogazic, and I will be your host for the next 40 minutes or so where we help you to learn, think, and live a little bit better. And we've got a great, great, great show for you. I'm excited to have with us on the program Dr. Matt Fazio. He is a PhD who teaches composition and communication courses at Robert Morris University and Point Park University. He also manages the marketing department for a Pittsburgh-based accounting firm where he handles everything from the internal and external communications of the firm to the advertising and graphic work. Matt has presented his academic work at national conferences and has been published in scholarly journals as well as book chapters. He recently has co-authored a middle-grade novel which is called Detours and Designs and it will be available everywhere very shortly and I will let Matt talk a little bit about that later on in the program but you'll be able to get that on Amazon, Barnes and Noble as well as Google Play. Additionally in his spare time what little there is he's involved with the community and sits on the board of directors for the Baldwin Brentwood Whitehall Chamber of Commerce and today Matt is going to talk about the essential skill of emotional intelligence. Now, if you have listened to this program or have been involved with Mind for Life at all in the year of 2018, you will know that we are in the midst of a essential skills course, the 52 essential skills for success in life and business. And In that course, we go over some of the things that I believe are the most essential for you to be successful. Things like, how do you build self-confidence? Things like, how do you become more adaptable? Things like, why is a sense of humor so important? And for today, why emotional intelligence is so critical for your success in life and in business. So we're going to get into that with Dr. Fazio in just a couple of minutes. But before we do, let me mention a couple of things. First of all, if you would like to join us 
on the Essential Skills course. You can go to the show notes page for this podcast, which is at mindforlife.org slash 056. And there is an opt-in for you to download the Essential Skills self-assessment. You might want to take that and copy it off twice, once for yourself and give it to someone who knows you to assess where you stand in regards to all of the 52 essential skills, um, as well as putting down your top 10 and the top 10 areas that you need the most work. So that is available for you on the mindforlife.org website. And so I would encourage you to do that. Um, You can also find the show notes for this program, including all of the places and resources where you can connect with Dr. Fazio. So all of his contact information is on that same page, mindforlife.org slash 056. And I want to encourage you to stick around to the end of the program where I share with you my top learning moments. That's the things that I learned the most from talking with Matt on this program. And so I would encourage you to just stick around to the end of the program and tune in to those incredible gold nuggets of intellectual development. Well, that's all. Let's get right into our interview with Dr. Matt Fazio. All right, Matt, it is so fabulously wonderful to have you on the program. It's great to have you here, and we are excited to be talking today about emotional intelligence as one of the 52 essential skills for success in life and business. But before we get into it, just if you would, Matt, share with the audience a little bit about, we just read through your bio and everything, but just tell us what you're doing now, where you've come from, and how you've got to where you are, if you would, please. Uh, Thank you very much for having me on the show. I'm really excited about this. Um, So a little bit about me. Uh, I actually went to get my undergraduate degree at Robert Morris University. After that, I went to Slippery Rock University, and both of those degrees were in English, one English studies and one English literature. After that, I went directly to Duquesne University, where I studied rhetoric, and I completed my doctoral program from there. Um, Although I always thought that I would be teaching full-time, I ended up taking a job as a marketer where I work at a place called Donnelly Bolin and Associates. It's an accounting firm in Baldwin, PA. And one of the things that's really great there, I get to use some different muscles, if you will. Uh, I'm able to do our internal and external communications as the marketing supervisor there. Nice. So I did you, what were you, what were the concentrations of your degree, uh, of your PhD? So I, I was interpersonal communications and ethics, and I actually think that both of those will play a role in our discussion today about emotional intelligence. Great. Well, we're excited about it, and we're going to get into emotional intelligence. And so if you could just help us out, there's a lot of information out there on emotional intelligence. I know you've done the research, uh, so just if you would kind of like give us a definition of what 
emotional intelligence is for our audience members? So emotional intelligence is something that is extremely popular right now. We're starting to see it in a lot of newspaper articles and magazines. And I think that that's because this is a different way to assess a person. Mm -hmm. Daniel Goldman's book, Working with Emotional Intelligence, uh, that was in 1995. He defines emotional intelligence as the capacity for recognizing our own feelings and those of others, for motivating ourselves and for managing emotions well in ourselves and in our relationships. So just to take a step back, really what he's talking about here is being able to recognize feelings and then doing something about them. That's motivating ourselves and managing our emotions to motivate and um, work with others. So there are two components here. There's the idea that we are first recognizing the feelings, and then second, we're doing something about them. Okay, so there's several components to emotional intelligence. Number one, there's a process, like you said, of self-discovery, right? That's yep. That's knowing our own emotional states. And then there is the other, uh, and maybe included in that, and correct me if I'm wrong, is the idea when you know your emotional states, you're able to find ways to motivate yourself to do things that maybe you don't want to do. And the other side of that coin is having the ability to perceive and understand the, the emotional states of other people. And this is really about interpersonal relationships, right? I think that's that's right on point. And the only reason um, the, the, the other component of it is that internal part, that part isn't necessarily internal or that, that part isn't necessarily interpersonal, but it is absolutely necessary as well. So there's the idea that we're understanding and identifying our own emotions and acting on them and assessing and understanding others' emotions and again, making action on them. Okay. So now this, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a question here. We live in a world that is dominated by metrics. In other words, if we can't measure it, it doesn't exist. Uh, it's funny because we're talking about some very subjective, uh, concepts, right? Yes. But yet, we're still trying to objectify the subjectivity, if that makes sense. We're trying to quantify how we understand other people's emotional states and giving ourselves a quote-unquote number, if you will, on how high our, EIQ, our, our EQ is. So I don't know, you know, how does that work? And is this something that can be quantified? Well, I think that's a great question, and that's something that I really wanted to talk about today because we do live in a society where it's how many clicks did this get? Right. It, that, that's the, the judgment on if a, an article is worthy. It's how many clicks did it get? Uh, how many likes did this tweet get? And you're, you're seeing this ROI, the return on investment that people are always looking for. So was it good enough that people cared about it? Right. And that would be something more like IQ. Mm -hmm. But emotional intelligence, on the other hand, is using a, a little bit of a different scale. Now, the way that they're probably like people who believe in emotional intelligence would 
combat that idea is that because there is action, if you are able to identify your own emotions and you are able to master them, if you will, but you don't do anything about it, it's not good enough. Okay. So the way in which this is quantified, again, it's not as clear cut as IQ, but the way that this is quantified is through the results. Can you identify your own emotions and take the proper course of action? Can you identify emotions in others and show empathy and show problem solving skills? So it's the the long game, if you will. Right. Are you a successful person? And what makes you successful? And sometimes people thought, oh, well, what makes you successful is IQ. Now there are a lot of people who say, no, th there's another component. There are other types of intelligence and emotional intelligence is one of them. Mm -hmm. So why, obviously, the, the difference between IQ and EQ is understandable, but there are some people that are saying your EQ is more important for your success, both in your personal life and in your professional life than IQ. Why is that? I think that it comes back to action, that IQ, your IQ cannot change greatly throughout your life. There are a lot of studies that go and show that. Now, as you get a little bit older, sometimes they say it's a more accurate reading of your IQ, mm -hmm. but more than likely by the time you're 18 to 20 years old and the time that to the time that you're 60 years old, it's going to be about the same, mm -hmm. whereas emotional intelligence can change. Mm -hmm. And because of that change, that means you become the master. You become the one who can change things for yourself. Mm -hmm. So we talk about different ideas like grit or tenacity. And sometimes it comes back to the type of person that you are. Can you meet failure and keep moving? It's it's the, the thing that Rocky said. It doesn't matter how hard you get hit. It's a matter how hard you get hit and you get back up yeah, and you yeah. keep going. Yeah. So, so you're saying that your, your EQ can change over your lifetime. And I'm assuming that that can mean both for the, for the better as well as for the worse. Uh, what are some things that you can do maybe like, let's say you, I, I think probably the, the first step might be self-discovery, right? First thing would be to try to maybe take a self-assessment, but what, what would be a process that somebody might so, go through. So I, I'm actually going to uh, take I'm going to take some time to talk about the five components that uh, are talked about okay. in Daniel Goleman's book, okay. and that that can help us kind of you know have a pretty decent understanding of the direction that this goes. So the the five components are uh, self awareness, self regulation, internal motivation, empathy, and social skills. Okay, and just just giving you really, really brief topical ideas for each one. Self-awareness means you're able to recognize and understand your personal mood and emotions and drives. Mm -hmm. So that's when you're saying to yourself, you, you know, I'm angry right now. Like in saying that I know that I'm in a bad mood and I know that I wasn't as nice to one of my coworkers as I should have been. 
because I'm stressed out. Right. So being able to, to follow that track back, I'm angry. I'm upset. Why am I? And then you think back and that's why being able to identify that characteristics of this type of person have self-confidence, self-assessment, self-deprecating sense of humor, and you're just able to identify your own emotions. Okay. The second one, self-regulation is the ability to control or redirect disrupt, disruptive moods. Okay. And this means that even when things don't go your way, you're able to continue moving forward. I think that we've all been around people who are like this and we've all been around people who are not like this, where if one little thing happens, everything is wrong for somebody and they're going to have a bad day because they woke up on the wrong side of the bed. On the other hand, someone who exemplifies self-regulation, that type of person is going to have comfort in ambiguity. That type of person is going to have is going to be open to change. Mm -hmm. And that person is also going to be someone you can trust. And there's trustworthiness in that concept. Okay. So so in self-regulation, it's it's the ability to say, hey, this is happening and I need to regulate. And um, I, I also like to think about going back to Aristotle for this. And self-regulation really comes into the golden mean. Okay. The like not too much. Or, and not too little trying to find that happy medium. So when things are great, you don't go overboard. Uh -huh. When things are bad, they're not that bad. You need to find that middle ground. Okay. So, um, there's two, those are two definitely different skills, right? The first yeah. one is the awareness and the understanding of where you stand when it comes to your emotional states. And then the second one is being able to control that when yep. things are going great so that you don't go overboard, but when things really suck so that you are able to handle that and be able to function in society with other people well enough and not let bad things like make the entire world around you negative, right? Absolutely. Okay. Um, so yeah, you're, you're right on point with those. Then it, it shifts a little bit. And the third one is called internal motivation. And this is... You have a reason beyond money or status, not an external reward, but an internal internal reward. So this is joy for doing something, curiosity for learning, a propensity to pursue your goals with energy and persistence. Mm -hmm. And again, we've been around people like this too. The people who do not need to be motivated. These are self-starters. Um, for those of the listeners out there who have – um, co-workers working underneath them. And it's best to have these people who are self-starters, who you don't have to prod about every little thing. And right. these people who just say, I'm going to just go out and I'm going to do it. These people have a drive to achieve. These people are optimistic in the face of failure. Uh -huh. And these people have an organizational commitment. They see what they need to do and they go after it. Right. Okay. So, yeah, so, so hi, e, I'm just going to run... Uh, recap for my own personal benefit. <laughs> Number one, good. a high EQ means that you're, first of all, very aware of your own emotional states. Number two, it means that you are able to effectively regulate those emotional states, yep. both in the face of great positives as well as great negatives. Number three, it means that you are you possess the ability to motivate yourself 
outside of external motivators. In other words, you don't have to wait around for your boss to say, do this and I'm going to give you a thousand dollar bonus. You just are able to motivate yourself to do what you have to do, right? Yep. Absolutely. Okay. And, and that, that this isn't to say that a person is wrong or bad for wanting external rewards, right? Because they're necessary in a lot of ways. You know, people need to make money. People need to make a living. I get that. But that shouldn't be the only reason you're doing things. Okay. So, so, you know, you, and if need, you're, to that, you need to have that fire. Right. And if you are only motivated by external factors, you would tend to not have a high level of EQ. Correct. Okay. Yep. And that's part of the reason why people say EQ is is a predictor of success because people that are able to do things and motivate themselves without external forces are usually or would tend to end up becoming more successful. Maybe. Yeah. And th- this is the person who says, I need to do the report right because doing the report right is the thing that I need to do. Okay. I, I need to do this because I need to do it for me. I need to make it as good as it can be. I don't care about a grade. I don't care about what my boss thinks and not, you know, but essentially that's what it's doing. It's putting the onus on yourself and not saying I'm doing this for other people. You need to be doing it for yourself. Okay. Okay, good. All right. So then number four is empathy. And uh, this is very simple. The idea that the ability to understand the emotional makeup of other people, this is, um, uh, the way that, um, we treat other people, the way that we understand other people's emotional reactions. What this does is we're, we're starting to see that people who have a high form of, uh, empathy are good at bonding with relationships with people that these are people who are, have, uh, cross-cultural sensitivity. Mm-hmm. The, these are people who do not necessarily shut out other people because they understand. And even if you don't necessarily know exactly what they're going through, you have that empathy to make that connection and say, wow, that's tough. And I, I think that, that brings people closer together. Right. Okay. So that's just about being able to maybe you could say put yourself in the uh, emotional state of another individual or at least try to find a way to understand and experience what the other person may be feeling or experiencing at the time? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And then the last piece uh, is, is going to be social skills. And again, this is one of those uh, external ones where it's more on the other more than it's on you. And this is a, prof- a proficiency in managing relationships and building networks and the ability to find common ground and build rapport. What we're seeing, these are the leaders. These are the people who are team builders and these are the people who are most persuasive. Um, people who have these good social skills and, and, and if, you, if you really think about it, think about how the, all of these components match up together. So if I think something is the right thing to do because of that internal motivation and I am, you know, looking at other people on my team and building these relationships and showing empathy for them, that's a good team. Right. That's a good business. That's a good business model. Mm-hmm. So that that's definitely something that a, a lot of these things overlap in a lot of ways. Right. So it's easy to see, I think that that when you don't have these things how bad it can really get 
in a business, right? If your leader is somebody that is doesn't understand their emotional states, comes in and rec- can't regulate it, wrecks the whole office because they can't control themselves, has no concern for you as another individual, you know, y- you could see how that is very, <laughs> can be very destructive and can really wreck a business, right? Absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, I, I hear a lot of times from people that I left a job because they I wasn't being paid enough money. I wasn't being paid enough money. But you need to stop and think about all of the other things that go into a job. Right. Do you find it fulfilling? Do you find that personal joy within that job? Are you able to build relationships with others? Because if you have that personal goal and you're building relationships with others and you understand others, and then you go back to those original two and you have this self-awareness and then you're able to regulate those things, you're going to be a more positive person. And I'm not telling people they need to stay at a dead-end job just because they think that that's the right thing to do. No, but you have to find what it what it is that makes you tick, that makes you the best employee you can be and the best person that you can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you are a leader – if you are a business owner, it's in your best interest because the success, uh, the greater success, maybe you can say, of your business depends a lot on the social interactions of the people on your team. If the team, and you can look at this, I think maybe with any sports team, you know, you always hear these guys saying, oh, there's trouble in the locker room. Well, when there's trouble in the locker room, the product on the field usually is reflective of that. And the trouble in the locker room has to do with these EQ skills or lack thereof. And so when leaders possess them, right, not that it yep. always goes perfectly, right? No. But yeah. that they can, they it, it just makes everything go, maybe you could say it puts the business and the team in the best possible position to succeed. Not necessarily that it's going to guarantee that you're going to become a millionaire or whatever, but it puts you in the best position. You can still have a crappy product, <laughs> right? We could have good emotional intelligence, but our product stinks. But if you've got the best of both, that that's if, if even if you've got a great product and your team stinks, I think you're going to have a hard time being successful. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that, um, and, and this actually comes back to a, uh, a definition of rhetoric by Thomas Farrell. He talks about rhetoric as an acquired competency, a manner of thinking that invents the possibilities for persuasion, conviction, and action. And I really like that idea because what this is, what, what that's talking right there about rhetoric, that you're putting yourself in the best position to to be able to persuade. Similarly, with um, with EQ, what you're trying to do is you're trying to put yourself in the best position to succeed, whether that's a business owner or just a, an individual person. Not every single interpersonal relationship is going to go well, even if you have a very high EQ. However, you're going to be put in better scenarios and better situations and you will have better odds because of that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here comes the big question for our audience members and for me, what can we do to improve? What are some practical steps that we can take 
that will raise our EQ level. I don't know if you've got something in general or maybe something within each of those five categories or whatever, but what, what can an audience member, maybe, maybe, maybe I could ask this question before you answer that one. Is this something that is a genetic predisposition, like something that, you know, a high people are just born naturally high EQ people. It's just a part of their genetic makeup. Or is it something that is a social construction, something they learn from the environment? Maybe if they're in a family situation with high EQ family members, they learn it. If they're in a family situation with low EQ family members, is it one or the other? Is there any research so, on that? So in, in, in my research on this exact portion the idea of like the nature versus nurture right there's not a true consensus however the research comes back to say there is less emphasis on nature for eq than there is on iq okay so sometimes you're born with an iq and that's that's who you are Whereas on the other hand, something like EQ can be learned and is social. Now, there might be a person who has the propensity to have a higher EQ, but depending on the family life, depending on how one was raised, a lot of it's going to uh, be contingent upon those things. Okay. So that's my answer to the first part. Now, the second part, the practicality of it. Uh, in the initial stages, when we first started talking, I said that the real difference between IQ and EQ is that IQ is what it is. And that person is, is going to be that smart no matter what happens. Whereas someone's EQ can develop. And when we talk about ways to develop, the first thing that you need to do is you need to identify. Mm hmm. So you need to think about these five components, these five tenants, and think about where you're strong and where you could work on. And it doesn't matter if that's um, trying to learn all of these skills at once or one of the skills at a time or just concentrating on it. But I firmly believe that those who are conscious and they're consciously thinking about getting better at something, I think those people have an opportunity to get better just by keeping it in the front of their mind. Okay. So, so the step number one is just be conscious of it because if you're not conscious of it, you're not necessarily going to get better. Right. If you want to get better at your golf swing, you know, you, you don't just sit around the house. You go and you practice your golf swing because you know, hey, to get better at my golf swing, I need to swing a hundred times. Similarly, if you want to get better at self-awareness, sit there and ask yourself, when you get upset, why am I upset? When you, when you feel your face gets flush and your heart's beating real fast, ask yourself why. When you're very happy, try to say like, am I happier now than I was at a different time? Reflecting on those things will really help. Mm -hmm. So my first real step is just to think about it and just stop and just calm down and then see where you are. Right. The, the second thing that I think can help is really going down to that empathy. And so first, you're going to start thinking about yourself. Second, I think that you need to start thinking about others. So when you walk into your boss's office and your boss chews you out and you have no idea why, the first thing shouldn't come to mind is, oh, my boss is terrible. The first thing that should come to mind should be why. 
And I, I think that that will help people and that will help people find common ground. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not to say that every time you get chewed out, it wasn't <laughs> like, oh, it's just your fault. No, yeah. it's not that. But at the same time, maybe maybe they were having a bad day. Right. You know, because we're all human beings and we all act on this. And maybe it, it doesn't matter if somebody's a boss. Maybe they don't have the highest EQ and maybe they're not able to self-regulate. Yeah. So showing that compassion and that empathy, I think will really help. And the the third and final thing that I think that people can do, and um, I actually have believed this on my own, but I, I made sure to go out and, and find someone else who believes me too. <laughs> Dr. Kapoor wrote uh, in the Economic Times um, about one of the best ways to get better at EQ is by reading fiction. What? Yeah. And, and, and the reason for that, and for some people, they might say like, Oh, why, why do I have to read fiction? Why can't I read nonfiction? Right. The reason you read fiction is because fiction deals with characters. Mm-hmm. And when you're dealing with characters and you have to think about motives, why is this character like that? Okay. Why does she make these decisions? Why did he do that? And when you have to stop to think about those things, one of the one of the reasons that this can really help with a person's EQ is because it's really hard in a day-to-day life to have to keep stopping and thinking about your emotions mm-hmm. and saying, okay, am I aware of this? Am I self-regulating? It's, it's a, a tough task to do, especially if a person has never done it before. However, when you read, you can stop and you can reflect and you can ask yourself, would I have done the same thing? Right. Would my best friend have done the same thing? Start asking yourself self questions like that. And what that's going to do is that's going to slow down a process of evaluation. That's going to allow you to see what other people do in a contained environment, a book. Mm-hmm. And they're able to show high EQ or low EQ. You know, you might read a book and say like this person is not getting it. Right. This person is not ever showing empathy. This person is only driven by money and, and those things. And on the other hand, there are really good examples of ways that people can make those connections. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a very interesting point, because I think there's a I think there's a step that you mentioned. Sometimes when we read fiction, we just read through and we just are Getting, trying to get through the story, you know, trying to, we're driven by the plot. If it's a great plot, we're driven through it. But the characterization in a, in a, in a great author, the, the author creates complex characters that make you have to really enter into a dialogue with them, almost enter into a dialogue with yourself about that person. And you start to wonder, I mean, some of the greatest books that I've read, you know, when I've talked with, uh, I enjoy discussing with friends some of the great books. And we will talk about and speculate about these fictional characters like, well, what do you think they would have done in here? What yep. would you, you know, and so you're entering this, pro, you're, you're doing this evaluative process. And I think it just starts to maybe establish a habit of how you should do that in, in, in life, right? Yeah, and and I think too one of the things that happens with really good books and good fiction is that you don't need to know the outcome if you know the character. Right. You know what the outcome is going to be. 
you you know, if you read Catcher in the Rye, you know what Holden is going to do because Holden's going to do what Holden's going to do. Right. And and if you craft these characters in such a way and you're intuitive enough as a reader, you can say in this scenario, this is what this character would do. Mm-hmm. And and, you know, that that's that's oftentimes uh, a, a mark of a, a great book mm-hmm. that, you know, they create these characters that are so lifelike that you know what they're going to do. So I, yeah. I really like that concept. Yeah. It's you're. I think you're talking about the idea of intuition. Yep. That you are intuitive enough uh, to be able to see into what a person or character would be. So uh, just for the audience, Matt, I'm just going to say it. Matt has just written and, and they've just published uh, a fiction book just tell us and i'm going to ask you about the characterization since we're talking about it but tell us what the book is and where it's available and everything like that and then i want to talk to you about what you did in creating the characters and how that how that process started so uh my friend josh malaki and i co-wrote a middle grade novel and even though the character uh the main character is 11 years old there's actually a lot of applications for different ages so even if you're listening out there don't just write it off because it's a middle grade novel i think that there's a a, a lot of uh, depth in there and uh the the novel is uh, about a regular kid who's dealing with regular problems and has friends and family and you know is going to school and he he's he has trouble with teachers and things like that like anyone else and the the novel really centers around this idea that uh, he finds a picture in his science book a hand drawn picture and he wants to find who drew the picture. So he looks in the front of the book and sees the names, and that's the list of names. And he thinks it's going to be a super simple mission, but it's not. There are detours along the way, and that's why the book is called Detours and Designs. The book is uh, going to be available everywhere on April 24th. That will be uh, on Google Play, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and uh, the website is www.detoursanddesigns.com. Nice. So – how did how did you write the character and and how did that process go and and maybe make some connections back here to emotional intelligence and and your character were you were you intentional about that how, to explain a little bit so one of the things that Josh and I did in the writing process is that we are extremely deliberate when it came to choices that characters made even even phrases that they said you know, we, we asked each other, would this character actually say this? Would this character actually do this? Mm-hmm. So just because we thought that the plot should go one way, we wanted to make sure that the characters were always true to themselves. Mm-hmm. And I, I did want to bring up one small portion of the book that actually is a great example of emotional intelligence. And three boys uh, are sitting there playing video games and uh, they're at uh, Drew, Drew is the main character. They are at Drew's uh, friend's house, Jeff. And Jeff's mom says, Jeffrey, come on in the other room. And he says, I'm playing video games. And she says, no, right now. And he, he he's not getting it. And he's like, oh, I guess I'll go. And like he's still like watching the TV on his way out. And then he goes into the other room. Our main character, Drew, says to the other remaining kid in the room, Tommy, what do you think that was about? 
And he's like, what are you talking? He's like, something sounded weird in her voice. Was she sad or I I don't know what that was. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that she was. And um, and there was something wrong. But no spoilers here. Yeah, no, no spoilers. (laughs) But the, 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 the key here is that Jeff couldn't recognize that in his mother's tone. Uh-huh. The the other friend, Tommy, is saying to Drew, like, what are you even talking about, man? I'm just playing video games. Like, she just asked him to come in the other room. There's no big deal. But there was this, this ability to show empathy and think of others' emotions and tone of voice and small things like that that Drew was able to show that even in a half a page of writing, we were able to show that he has that emotional intelligence. Right. And throughout the book, I think that that's something that makes him a very likable character. He knows when her his friends are upset. He knows when his mom or his dad is upset. He 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 can he he can really intuit those things. And I think that that's really important because if if he can show that to his friends, then readers might have uh you know an affinity for drew because he's someone that they would want to know because hey if i knew drew he would know me he he would show that empathy to me and yeah. i i think that that's what makes him a likable character yeah it's funny because it almost seems like you're describing a superpower <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know that drew has you know i'm when i was growing up there was a big there's a big debate about ESP, you know, like, could we, could, is ESP a real thing or whatever? But in a certain sense, a high EQ gives you a, a, a deeper intuition into the social dynamics of what's going on uh, among your friends, among your workers, uh, among the people in the room. And, and you do, to a certain extent, with, uh, dependent upon the level of that skill, possess almost like a superpower where you are able to discern and understand what's going on and, and try to, you know, figure that out where other people are just completely unaware. Absolutely. And, and I think that that, I, that last idea that you were just talking about, that some people are unaware, they're oblivious. Yeah. Some people don't hear it in tone of voice. Some people don't notice a roll of an eye. Some people don't see those things or hear those things or take notice of them even if they do. And I think that, you know, let's say, for example, we're all in a room and one person is standing off by herself. And a couple people just say, yeah, she's just standing over there. Who cares? But then there's one person who says, no, she's not just standing over. There's a re- why is she standing yeah. over there? And, and that's, that's where the difference comes in. You stop and you think and you try to put yourself in the other person's position. And then there's a whole host of new opportunities. And that's what life's all about. It's making these connections. It's being able to be with other people. We are social beings. We talk to one another. We engage with one another. We want that human connection. So if you have a high EQ, you're going to have that connection with more people. Yeah. And it's like you said, uh, some people are, and maybe there's a, maybe there's a step-by-step process. First of all, you're oblivious to it. The second level is you start to realize, hey, something just doesn't fit here. Why is she standing off? 
right? Why is she standing off? And then the third step is to be able to make the say and say something's not right. Something's wrong. And I, I understand what's going on here. And I'm going to go over and try to empathize with this person or, or see what I can do and, and employ the social skills or whatever you want to say. So yeah, it's good. It's good. Well, I don't want to take too much of your time, Matt. It's been a joy to talk to you. Um, and I appreciate you coming on all the research and everything you've done. It's been a huge, huge benefit for me. And I know for the audience as well, uh, just before you go, if you would give us, uh, the places again, where we can connect with you online and maybe follow you on Twitter or whatever social media platforms you frequent the most. So, uh, first of all, if you want to get, uh, in touch with the book and, and things like that. That's detoursanddesigns.com. It's available for pre-order. Yeah, it's, it's already available for pre-order. And um, then it, it, we have a Facebook page. We have an Instagram page. And then if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, it's at Fazio underscore Matt. So that's at F-A-Z-I-O underscore M-A-T-T. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really enjoyed being on here. I enjoyed the discussion. And I think that what you're doing with the, this podcast, Mind for Life, I, I, I think that these are really good skills that people can um, can really help better themselves personally and professionally. So I'm, I'm really honored to be a part of this. Well, it's been an honor to talk to you. And I thank you for coming on. I appreciate it so much. All right. Again, I want to thank Dr. Fazio for coming on the program today and what a great interview it was. I learned so, so much and I hope you did as well. And I want to share with you right now my top learning moments. That's the biggest things that I took away from my discussion with Dr. Fazio. First of all, unlike IQ, which you heard Dr. Fazio talk about how it remains static for the majority of our life, our EQ can change. And that enables us to find ways to improve in the area of emotional intelligence. So it's important to understand that though we may have some shortcomings when it comes to emotional intelligence, we can grow in those areas. We can learn to be a little bit more self-reflective. We can learn to uh, find ways to empathize with other people. We can learn to try to see and understand other people's emotional states. Those things can be developed and it's important to develop those qualities. So we're not trapped as we are when it comes to IQ, but we can grow in the area of EQ. That's the first thing. And the second thing is this. I never would have thought that reading fiction can help you to grow in your emotional intelligence. And what a great thought, right? Part of improving our EQ is that ability to step outside of the context and take a reflective position regarding other people's emotional states. Now, this takes practice. It takes, you know, effort. It takes time to develop. And many times in our real life relationships, in our real life encounters with other people, we don't always remember to make time for that reflective process. We we just kind of go through the interaction and we overlook maybe the emotional aspect of what someone else may be going through at that moment. Well, when we read fiction, 
It gives us the time to stop and analyze the character and to think about that character's emotional states. And what it does is it functions as a type of practice, right? When we read through and we think about what a character does and what decisions a character makes and all of that, right? We begin to be able to reflect on their emotional states. And when we do that, we start to develop a habit, which then can become a regular part of how we think. So use reading, reading of fiction specifically because of all of the character development in that genre. Use that as an opportunity to develop the habit of being able to think about someone else's emotional state. And when you grow in that area, it raises up your EQ. Well, that is all for today. I want to thank you so much for listening to this program. Please go ahead and give a shout out to Dr. Matt Fazio on Twitter, if you would, and check out his book, Detours and Designs. Finally, remember the show notes with all of the links for this program are located at mindforlife.org slash zero five six. And once again, I want to thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time.